Well, I invite you to turn to the Gospel of Matthew in your Bible. Um, if you don't have a Bible, uh, please come see me after the worship service, and I would love to give you a Bible. Uh, Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, and let's read the story that that Christmas carol is based on. Matthew chapter 2, 1 through 12. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all of Jerusalem was disturbed with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, For this is what the prophet has written, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. It's a prophecy from Micah. Verse 7, then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for this child, and as as soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. After they heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Uh, in many ways, this story is is odd. Uh, it's odd in that it's only in Matthew's Gospel. Um, it's also odd in that it's been so popularized by the the Christmas carol, We Three Kings, that we just sung. Uh, if it had not been for that carol, I'm wondering how much attention this story um, would, would receive. And I want to look through the story under three headings that I think will help lead us to a really important point. And those words are written in the the little note sheet in your bulletin. uh, Identity, humility, and then mobility. And I think they will lead us to an important um, truth from this passage. Um, The first word, identity. Uh, Let's talk about the identity of these travelers from the east, and we we kind of uh, through the carol, through the scripture, through our own um, you know reasoning, we we can cobble together the identity of these individuals. Um, let's talk about what we definitely know to be true about these individuals, and we can read this um, from the very first verse in chapter two. This is from the Bible. Um, they are magi from the east. You can write that down. That's what we know about them. Magi from the East. 
Um, Magi were originally a class of priests. That, that word comes, we first find, um, for around 500 B.C., a class of priests. So they had a, a religious function in their culture um, in the area of Persia. Now, Persia was, it was a pretty broad, large empire um, that the, the, the kind of the center was definitely to the east of Jerusalem. And over the years, these magi would have gained uh, quite a bit of a scientific understanding. They were astronomers that looked to the skies. They also mixed a little bit of astrology with their astronomy, meaning that they looked to the sky. They wanted to study the skies, the stars, because they believed that there was messages, that there was a direction. Um, there was prophecy in the stars by looking at the stars. So let's talk about what these men weren't, and we, we get this um, from the, the hymn that we sung. Um, they weren't kings. They were part of a, a priestly, maybe court, maybe they were advisors to the kings, but they weren't kings. And there may not have been three of them. In fact, likely there weren't three of them. Um, why do we sing We Three Kings? Well, three gifts. Uh, you may have uh, heard the, the names that history has given these three individuals, Caspar, Melkor, and um, Baltazar. Those names probably go back no earlier than, um, I think it's around 600, maybe 500, 600. So a pretty big gap between Jesus' day and when we start seeing the first recorded times of those names, probably weren't their real names, probably not three, probably not kings. Um, let's talk about what's likely true. They're likely, um, maybe from Persia. Well, let's, let's talk about what was going on in that area. Um, maybe a hundred years or so before it became the Persian Empire. It was the Babylonian Empire. You might think of Babylonia, the area around ancient Mesopotamia where the Tigris and the Euphrates River where present-day Iraq and Iran are. Probably they were from that area. Why? Why do we think that? Why was Babylonia likely their home? Well, you may recall in the, let's see, fifth century B.C., um, the... The Babylonian Empire came and they ransacked Jerusalem. They invaded Judah and they took as slaves, as exiles, many, many, many of the Jewish people to Babylon. And generations of Jews lived in Babylon. They built Jewish learning centers in Babylon. Um, the, The Jewish culture mixed with the Babylonian culture. And it's very likely that these magi, wise men, people that were looked to by kings for insights into life as they studied the the stars, um, that these magi became acquainted with Jewish prophecy while they were in, while the Jewish people kind of um, mixed their ideas with Babylonian culture in the 5th century B.C. 
And so these magi would have been very acquainted with um, important Hebrew prophecies like Numbers chapter 24, verse 17. Let's talk about the star and their understanding of the star. Uh, This prophecy comes from um, Numbers 24. A star will come out of Jacob. Jacob meaning Israel. A scepter. Think about a scepter that a king would would have. Um, will rise out of Israel. And so the star, they're waiting for a star that was connected with the Israel people and identified that there would be a king coming from the people. Now, there was a lot of speculation about what that star that they saw really was. And I'm sure you've heard some of the possibilities. Was it a supernova? Was it an exploding star that was so bright, you, you know, just it lasted for... The, the, the brightness, the intensity um, would have lasted perhaps for years from this supernova. Was it planets aligning to make things brighter? Could be. Uh, did God just miraculously create a bright light in the, st- in the sky, visible to people? Could be. Um, one idea was that the planet Jupiter was, came in alignment with the star Regulus. Regulus is the brightest star in the constellation Leo, so Regulus, think of Regal. So it's a star identified with kingship. Leo, the lion, the, the king of the jungle, this constellation that was associated with kingship. And this bright star, this bright light in the constellation of Leo, with the star, this bright star of, of Regulus. People see that and say, hmm, maybe this is the star of the king. Another idea is that Jupiter came in alignment with Saturn. In the constellation Pisces, Pisces was apparently a pointer to um, the um, um, Palestinian area. You, you, you hear different ideas. People aren't, I mean, we don't know what it was, right? People have spent lots and lots of time exploring what it could have been. Uh, great presentations have been made on this. A lot of study. You might find that fascinating. More power to you. Um, here's what I find fascinating. They actually follow the star. These men, hundreds of miles away from Jerusalem, who weren't Jews, follow the star. They knew these scriptures. And, um, and think about that for a second. They knew these scriptures, but these scriptures, they had lots of scriptures. They had lots of sacred texts, these magi, these foreigners, these non-Jews. So they didn't think of the, the Hebrew Scriptures like we think of Hebrew Scriptures as Christians. We think, well, this is God's Word. Well, they, this is one of many Scriptures to them. And so you can imagine maybe a conversation that... I mean, it, it started... Their journey started with a conversation, right? Between these magi. And one of them, as they've been stargazing and noticing what's going on, one of them said, you know what? I think we ought to... I think we ought to go check that out. I think we can go follow that. And another one said, you know, it's kind of crazy. I, I think the same thing. Judah's a long way off. I mean, what is it, eight, 900 miles? Yeah, I think, it's, I think it's about that far. How long will that take us? I don't know. A month? One way? And they actually went. That's what I find fascinating. You know, my family and I have a difficult time getting together this 
two-day vacation in a hotel, a half-day's drive away. We have a hard time making that happen. These non-Jews that just saw this bright star in the sky completely reoriented their life for months to go and follow it. Imagine what the neighbors would have said. You know, hey, can you watch our house for a while? Because we're going to be gone for a couple months. Oh, yeah, what's, where, where are you going? Judah. Judah. It's hundreds of miles away. What, what's, what's bringing you there? A star. What? A star? Yeah, that bright star up there. You see that bright star? I, I, I think I see it. You mean that, that one right up? No, not that one. That, that other one right up. I mean, come on. You know, no one would do this, but they did. That's what I find fascinating. Uh, what a strange story. Why did Matthew include this strange story? Because he wanted people to know something very, very important. I want to put this on the screen. Just kind of my thoughts, a little wordy this morning. The important point of this, God's grace extends to all people, including these magi, these foreigners living hundreds and hundreds, maybe close to a thousand miles away. Yet not all people find God, and some of the people we most expect to find God are the most lost. This story shows us that God reaches out to the least likely of people. And here's the interesting and the dangerous thing, I think. You know, people may identify with that first group, the I'm an unlikely person to find God group. Maybe you're in that category. Like, you know, I've had a pretty pretty tough past, and yet God found me. You know, I've made a lot of mistakes. I, I'm not a holy person, but God found me. And you may identify with that. You may relate to that first category. Very, very, very few people self-identify with that second category. The people that we most expect to find God, but who are actually lost. I mean, very, very few people think, you know what? Maybe I'm just a religious faker. And that's the dangerous thing. How can we be people who find God and avoid being people who are actually lost in our search? That's what I want to look at today. Well, there's a distinguishing characteristic between those two groups, I think, the the ones that will find God and the ones who are really lost. What's that distinguishing characteristic? And we see it in this story in Matthew chapter 2. It's humility, isn't it? So let's talk about humility. What is humility? Humility, in its essence, is a recognition that all is not well in my life and I am in need of something or someone greater than myself. Like, I need that. Like, if I don't have that something or someone greater than myself, I'm gonna, my life's going to be a train wreck. And let's think about the story. Herod is an easy straw man as the person who completely lacks humility, right? We see through Herod's deception. You know, he tells the Magi, oh, when you find this, this new king that was born, when you find him, please come back and tell me where he is so that I can go and worship him too. We see through Herod. The Magi likely were seeing through Herod. Herod is a convenient person for us just to 
push over like a straw man and say, isn't it great that none of us are like Herod? Isn't it great that we're not some maniac like him? But what about the rest of Jerusalem? So look at verse 3 again. Uh, When King Herod heard this, this news about the king of the Jews who was born, he was disturbed, and all of Jerusalem was disturbed with him. The whole city was troubled. Uh, Likely when the wise men, the magi, came rolling into town, it was a scene. It probably was a large caravan. Think about what it would take to travel hundreds of miles over the course of uh, at least a month of traveling. Uh, You have to get a lot of people. Get your servants, get your supplies, get your animals, get geared up, maybe some family members, who knows? It probably was a, a caravan. It probably wasn't three amateur stargazers saying, hey, let's go follow that, but rather a society of individuals that made this a society may bring too big of an image together. But, but my point is, there would have been a good handful of people riding in, either on donkeys, possibly horses, a big contingent going into Jerusalem. Notice that Herod had to call the wise men to him. It's not that they appeared on Herod's you know, palace doorsteps. Hey, can we have a moment of your time? No, Herod called them. How did that come about? Well, because the city was abuzz because of this caravan. So they probably were asking many people in Jerusalem, where is this king, this new king of the Jews that has been born? We want to come worship him. Herod calls the Magi to him, which um, it just shows that the stir in the city. So let's get this picture straight. These non-Jews show up to Jewish headquarters and say to a people who have long been waiting for a coming Messiah, a Messiah King, and they say to this, this people that have been waiting for a Messiah, he's here, this Messiah, this King, he's been born We don't know exactly where he is, but he's right around here. And the Jews who they come to know the prophet Micah and what Micah says, that that king of the Jews is born in Bethlehem. Bethlehem, folks, is like six, is less than six miles from Jerusalem. It is a short hike to Bethlehem. The fascinating truth is that there is no indication whatsoever that anyone joins the wise men on their search for the Savior in the town of Bethlehem that is less than six miles away. Why was all of Jerusalem troubled at this news? I mean, yeah, some of it probably was because they're thinking, yeah, what's Herod going to do next? I mean, they're used to his explosive, maniacal, cruel ways, and what was he going to do? But I think it was more than that. Because in large, the people, the Jewish people in Jerusalem, had developed a complacent, pacifying coexistence with the Romans and tried to keep to their own business as much as possible. Keep the peace. Let's just stay out of their business. Let they stay out of our business. Let's just kind of do our thing. And the thought of another king, another allegiance was just too unsettling. You know, the typical Jewish citizen may have thought, God, we are just just getting things under control here. 
We don't need any more disruptions. Why do I think that? Because no one was following the wise men on to Bethlehem. So let me suggest two things about humility. One, we need to show humility in our need for God. Uh, What led the Magi to travel hundreds of miles for the star that they saw, that they made sense of through scriptures, that they didn't find to be the only source of truth for them? What, what What compelled them to do that? Well, they would have known of other really important prophecies from the Old Testament. Let me put this one up from the prophet Isaiah, chapter 60. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. See, darkness covers the earth, and thick darkness is over the peoples. But the Lord rises upon you in his glory, his light appears over you. Nations will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your dawn. So imagine being a magi. You're looking up. You're seeing these stars. You're looking for answers in the stars. You know you need answers. In the scripture, Isaiah 60 points to darkness. What makes them travel all the way to Jerusalem is they recognize that darkness that was in, over the earth was also in them. They, they needed light. Somehow they're thinking, oh, the star, maybe the star gives us some answers for this darkness that we, that we know we're, we're living in and is inside of us, and we need answers. So they recognize this, this darkness over the earth. It's, it's inner darkness as well. It's in, it's in the world. It's in me. You've seen the light in the sky, if you're one of the Magi, the star is pointing you to Judea. And they thought, I, I just need that light, whatever it is. And they traveled 100 miles, hundreds of miles. So I hope you have that sense as well, this, this sense of darkness. and ah, I, I need light. I need this light from the Lord. And that's why I seek God. So I hope you, I hope you feel that. Now, contrast that with Jerusalem. How do they react to the news? Well, Herod wanted to kill him, wanted to kill Jesus. The city of Jerusalem, they're like, oh, don't bother us with this. We, we, don't, need, we don't need this. What will this do to our stability? Let's just pretend this isn't happening. And it's true, there could be um, some very routine, some very normal ways that we have of doing things, just like the Jews in Jerusalem had their normal ways of doing things. There may be some normal, routine ways that we have of doing things that Jesus does not want to keep in our life. And Jesus says, I've come to bring peace, but I've also come to bring a sword, a sword that will divide you from anything that blocks your relationship with God, that blocks your relationship with other people. So this peace that Jesus brings is not synonymous with ease. Peace and ease are not biblically synonymous terms. Jesus has come to break down things that break down our relationship with God, that break down our relationships, things that break down our relationships with others. Jesus wants 
to cut those things out of our life so that we can be restored to God and restored in relationship to others. Jesus wants to cut away things like pride and self-righteousness and envy and resentfulness and bitterness. Anger that it's just hard to let go of. Jesus wants to cut that away. And that usually is not easy. So the peace that Jesus brings is not synonymous with ease. And the other type of humility that we need to have is humility in our understanding of God. Because don't you think that the the wise men, don't you think they would have expected Jerusalem to be their kind of their last spot of the journey? I mean, if you're going to be born king of the Jews, it's, you would expect to be that that person would be born in the, the 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 center of Jewish life, right there in Jerusalem. You would expect that the king of the Jews would be born at the center of power and wealth, wouldn't you? That makes sense. I mean, Jerusalem was kind of the want to go, want to be location for the Jewish people. But if you wanted to go find God dwelling in human flesh, where did you have to go? You had to go to Bethlehem, this small and poor little village. In other words, you had to be counterintuitive in looking for God, in understanding God. And I can't think of a better analogy for us in our country, in our culture, than than this story I mean, we think, I've got to keep gaining and prospering and impressing and finding ease and comfort. And and that's where I'm going to go for my light. A lot of people say that today, for my life and light. That's kind of the intuitive approach. That's what life is about, at least in our country. But if you want to go find God dwelling in human flesh, you had to go to Bethlehem. And so we may need to set these worldly ideals aside a bit. A few days before Christmas this year, my family was in the Midtown area of Houston. I was running an errand, doing some things down there. And we saw two images, two contrasting images um, that I want to share with you. One was... Um, One was a a Metro City bus. We were parked along um, West Gray, and along beside us pulled this Metro bus. No one was on the bus. The bus was completely empty except for two people. There was an African-American woman and and her son, probably about five years old. And um, we, we, we saw them for like all of five seconds. And then the light turned green, and we kind of pulled up, pulled ahead. Um, but just that little window in that bus, that five-second window, you looked at these two people, and um, the looks on their faces, by the looks on their faces, they were just spent, you know? Just, it was, uh, they just looked spent. So we drove on, did our errand, and about 20 minutes later, uh, we were driving around River Oaks looking at Christmas lights. 
on these multi-million dollar homes. It was beautiful. I mean, it was awesome. And there were people walking around the streets of River Oaks, and they'd come there by tour bus. Uh, there was a group of people on one of those little riding bars, you know, where people sit and pedal wheels, and they drink their their bar drinks. And, and have you ever seen one of those things? I mean, people were having a gay old time looking at Christmas lights in River Oaks. Everyone wanted to be at River Oaks, but here's the deal. And we see this in the story of the Magi's journey to Bethlehem. If there were a star parked over where God would choose to be, River Oaks or the Metro bus, where do you think God would choose? He'd choose the bus. That star would be parked over the bus. And this is why we have to read the scriptures, and not just once, not just scan through the scriptures. But in order to get to know who God really is, to, sh- to have humility in our understanding of God, we have to let God teach us new things about himself. And God does that by showing us sh- just crazy pictures of himself like that. I'd be parked over the bus. God disrupts and interrupts our normal patterns just like he disrupted the lives of the wise men, sending them on this round trip that was over 1,000 miles and, and took several months out of their lives to, to, to make that journey, ultimately pit-stopping in this little rinky-dink village of Bethlehem. You know, there's an old adage, God works in mysterious ways. You look in the Bible, you won't find that printed anywhere, right? So where do we get that adage? Well, we get it because we see it over and over again. Things that we expect God to do, he doesn't do. Things that we don't expect God to do, that's what he does. He works in, he works in mysterious ways. And that's why we have to have humility in our understanding of God. And we have to seek God by reading his word. And then going where it leads. See, here's a truth about Christianity, really important truth. Christianity, the Christian faith, is defined by trust, not just truth. Because that city of Jerusalem, it was full of truth. It was full of Jewish people that knew the truth. It was full of Jewish people that knew the Savior is going to be born in this small little town six miles from us. And they receive word that he's there, and no one goes with the wise men to seek for Jesus. They were full of truth. They just needed trust. So what does humility lead to? What we see in the story, it leads to mobility. Mobility. Why does Matthew include this story, this strange little story at the beginning of his gospel? About these foreigners traveling all the way to seek the new king. Well, it's no coincidence that at the very end of his gospel, Matthew records... Um, some of the very last words that Jesus says on earth to his disciples. Jesus says, Matthew 28, verse 18, 19, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go, make a journey, go, and make disciples of all nations. 
And I'm sure you've seen that, that wise men-inspired sign that people hang out in their houses at Christmas time. You know, wise men still seek him. It's kind of a neat sign, neat phrase. I like that phrase. I think it's a great phrase. Uh, I think it's true. Just know that when you find him, his last command is, yeah, go make disciples of all nations. Here's some, here's some wisdom for you. Go make disciples of all nations. Um, and if we can think we can sit in our comfy Jerusalem uninterested in what's going on outside of our comfortable area, and I'm not, I'm not you know, you get to define what your comfortable area is. You get to think about that before the Lord, you and your family, you yourself, and before the Lord. God, where, where is my comfortable area that you're disrupting, that you want to disrupt? You get to, you get to figure that out. That's what it means to walk with the Lord. Um, but if we can think that we can be in our little area of comfort and ignore areas of discomfort around us, then Jesus would have a different thing to say to us, right? Now, let's talk about um, mobility. Uh, being, uh, being, uh, being a mobile Christian doesn't mean I have to go to Timbuktu to be a faithful Christian. I don't have to do that. Uh, you can be like Stephen. Stephen's last Sunday here, by the way. He didn't mention that. Stephen, he's going to be going to Tyler. It's not quite Timbuktu, Tyler, Texas. Showing some mobility. God sparked him. I want to follow that. Yeah, sometimes it leads to Tyler, Texas. Sometimes it, it leads just right around here. So you don't have to go to Timbuktu. Being mobile Christians doesn't mean we have to travel far. It means we have to listen daily. That's what mobility looks like for a faithful Christian. Listening daily. Listen daily for Jesus' voice and be ready to obey. You don't have to plan on a big trip to be mobile. But you do have to pay attention to disruptions because Jesus will speak through his word and he will often speak through disruptions. So last thing, two things that I want you to do with your disruptions. I want us to think about our disruptions before the Lord. What's disrupting us right now. And one, I want us to see disruptions as opportunities to orient your life around Jesus. We three kings of orient are no. We three kings of orienting are. The most orienting thing about the story is how they oriented themselves around this disruption leading them to Jesus. And like, okay, we're going. We see the star. We have this hunger. We're going. We're going to center our life around this, this child when we meet him. Um, So when you are disrupted from your normal patterns of life, uh, often that's God that is speaking to you. Sometimes those disruptions come in the form of a loss, a loss of a relationship or a job or a friend or a sense of security. Um, Those disruptions that Initially, we, we have and are like, oh, this, this is awful. Maybe that's God bringing some disruptions to send you, to make you mobile. Maybe that disruption is something new, a new commitment. Um, realize I've got this opportunity to refocus my life around Christ. 
The second thing I want us to do with our disruptions, see disruptions as opportunities to find Christ in unlikely places. Because you won't find Christ easily if you make your life about ease and acquiring. We kind of wish Christ would meet us there, but that's usually not where Christ hangs out very much. Trying to make our life more easy and comfortable. That's just not Jesus' way. You find Jesus when you're in the darkness and you're looking for light. You find Jesus when you serve. Remember what, remember what Matthew says and writes in, 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 in chapter 25, or our chapter 25 of Matthew, um, what Jesus says about where people will meet him. People are asking Jesus, or in this parable, where did we meet you? Where did we see you? Where did we find you? The king, Jesus, will reply, truly, I tell you, wherever, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did it for me. You found me there. When you were serving, that's where I was. When you were going out to prisons and sick, or in hospitals, and where people were lonely, that's where you found me. So we see Jesus when we serve. So I want you to think about your disruptions. People who are wise on their search are those who see disruptions as a gift to reorient ourselves around God and his purposes for us. And when we ignore disruptions or see them as inconveniences to ignore, to avoid, we can just be lost. So let's bring before God this coming year, 2022, including however you might feel being disrupted, something that is new, that's, that's new for your life. And you're like, oh, I don't like this. I don't like this sense of loss or this difficulty I'm going through. And let's listen for the voice of God saying, push in a little bit more, listen to my voice, and follow my lead. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, uh, there are times when you seem so close, Lord, and there are times when you seem distant, and help us to not... Um, give up hope of finding you. Sometimes you lead us on a little journey of discovery, uh, a discovery of uh, of um, learning more about you and your often mysterious ways. Help us to release anxiety and tension over the disruptions that we're going through. You're in control. You use these to better fit us to serve you and to serve your kingdom and to help us to find you So we want to reorient our our lives this morning around your goodness, your love for us, and to recognize you lead us um, in bold directions. You um, lead us um, to do sacrificial things. You lead us sometimes through the journey of hurt, and you give us this gentle reminder, I'm with you, 
going through that hurt and that struggle, and I'll be with you. And it's going to lead you to a stronger um, understanding of my love and my presence with you. That's what we pray for. We love you. We worship you. In Jesus' name, amen.